Romans chapter 6, if you would, in your Bibles. I'm kind of excited about getting through the rest of this chapter, uh, and I'm hoping to get through it tonight. Um, and the reason I'm excited about this is because I, I genuinely believe that this chapter particularly is one of the chapters that could probably help you the most as a sincere Christian. And um, if you're not a sincere Christian, I, I really am not talking to you. I'll probably wind up preaching at you as we go along here. But I, I think this passage is for sincere Christians that are trying to do right and keep struggling. That probably is you, right? <laughs> Um, Christians that really do want to serve the Lord, they want to please God, they go out of their way on a dark, already wintry night in November in Michigan to be in church at a midweek service uh, when they don't feel like it. Some of you came straight from work. I know that for a fact. Some people came straight from work, didn't even get to make it home. Or ran home, may not have had time to eat, hurry up, get back out the door, and then come to church and plop down. And that's a pretty high level of commitment. I highly doubt you're rushing in here like that because you could care less about your walk with Christ or any of the rest of that. You more than likely care. And you want to grow. You want to do better. And I think a lot of times the reason that a lot of us struggle and keep struggling and don't figure out how to get the right traction is because things have been mistaught, misrepresented, and there's been a lack of good teaching think sometimes people fail in their Christian life or in moving forward for the Lord, just those baby steps a little bit at a time, growing a little bit at a time each week, each day, each month, each year, uh, is because they just don't have the knowledge, the teaching on actually what to do and how to do it. And there's literally, uh, I think, some techniques involved in the Christian life. And if you don't put those things into play or if you're not taught how to put those things into play, then you can constantly be struggling and staying at the exact same level you were at two years ago. Uh, that shouldn't be the case. You should be growing. Uh, there should be some kind of forward progress. And so I think this chapter helps us out a lot with that. We'll pick up in verse number 14. And it says in Romans six fourteen, For sin shall not have dominion over you, for ye are not under the law, but under grace. Let's pray real quick and we'll, we'll get back into here. Lord, I, I love you and I thank you so much, Lord, for... Uh, Lord, for Jesus Christ, for the ability that I have as a, as a born-again Christian to get the victory over sin. And Father, I pray now tonight as we sit down in this church that you'd help each and every person here to, to be able, with your grace and your help, to detach their minds and their hearts even from all that's been going on this week, from all the cares of this life and the busyness of this life and the concerns of this life. And uh, Lord, between Sunday and today, I'm 100% sure that almost everybody's had plenty of things to discourage them and distract them, to worry them and to bother them, to get in their mind and heart. And I pray right now that you would give us the grace we need to rise above the things of this life and to tune in a little bit to you and to your Holy Spirit and to your words and to get something out of this service that'll be a help and a blessing to us to live a life a little bit more pleasing to Jesus Christ. We pray these things in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. Amen. Amen. Don't forget, we left off last time and I said there was two words that you need to remember and don't forget them when it comes to trying to get the victory over sin. The first word is reckon. You remember that? Likewise, reckon ye also yourselves to be dead indeed unto sin, but alive unto God. The second word is yield. And I had said something last time that I'd like to circle back and clarify because somebody asked me a very good question and and so I want to... 
I want to drill down a little bit on what I said to make sure that I'm clear. I said this. I said lost people don't have a choice. They're going to sin. I said, Christians, now that you're born again, you have a choice. You'll still sin and you'll still fail, but the difference between you and a lost person is you can make the decision not to do wrong, but rather to do right. Whereas a lost person, they can't make that decision. And the reason that I need to clarify is because a statement like that may come uh, uh, dangerously close to sounding Calvinistic. I did not say they're predestined to damnation or salvation. I said when a man is lost and dead in trespasses and sins, what's he going to do other than sin? He's under the law because he's never come to Jesus Christ, and all the law did is constantly show how far we fall short of the glory of God. Everything about the law showed that you don't make it. You can't cut it. You need somebody to come along that can cut it for you and get through it for you, and that was Jesus Christ. So they don't have a choice. Even if they try to live righteous, they can't live righteous. Because all of our righteousnesses are as filthy rags. There's none righteous, no, not one. All have sinned and come short of the glory of God. So when somebody's not saved, there's nothing they can do about it. They're a sinner. You understand what I'm saying? After salvation, you're stuck. You're in a bad spot. (laughs) Because no longer can you enjoy sin like you used to. Your flesh will enjoy it. You need to understand that. Uh, I I don't like giving a a false... um, message or a false concept to, to the younger ones. I can't stand that. I can't stand telling young people, if you serve God and do right, your life will always be blessed and you'll never get sick and you'll never have financial trouble and you'll never wind up divorced and you'll never wind up in bereavement. You'll never have to stand at a, at a funeral at a casket that was an early death and that's ne- never going to happen to you because God will bless you and protect you and keep you and all the blessings of God fall on you because you did right. I don't know where we get that from the Bible. That's just not even close. And, and I also don't like to say this, there's no pleasure in sin. Be careful about sin. It's just going to wreck you and ruin you and it's just going to make you miserable. Listen, I'll tell you the truth. Uh, if you want to go on out and enjoy some whiskey, it's, there's pleasure in it. You want to go out and enjoy some dope, there's pleasure in it. You want to go out and enjoy uh, fornication and immorality, there's pleasure in it. The Bible tells you there's pleasure in it. The problem is it says there's pleasure in it for a season. And the end of that stuff is death. And so for a saved person that decides to live in sin and do wrong, you wind up so cotton-picking miserable because the Spirit of God is in you and He sealed you under the day of redemption and He said you're not to grieve Him and you're not to quench Him. So here you are living in sin as a Christian and yes, it will be fun. You'll enjoy it. But the problem with that is inside of you, you're going to go home, you're going to have a multiplied level of conviction, a multiplied level of feeling dirty, a multiplied level of regret, a multiplied level of judgment that a lost person may not experience the same way because they don't have the Spirit of God living in them like a saved person does. Does that make sense? So you're really up against it now. You're saved and God expects you to live like it. And the Spirit of God in you wants you to do right. And the flesh that you're in, which Paul's going to show us in the next chapter, the flesh that you're in still is prone to sin. I mean, prone to wander, Lord, I feel it. Prone to lead the God I love. I mean, you heard uh, uh, Grandma Rotondi, uh, Aaron's grandma, that, that joined on Sunday morning. She said, you'd think, and she said it again here, but she told me and my wife at her, dinner, at her uh, supper table, she said, you'd think at my age you wouldn't struggle anymore, but let me tell you, you do. I thought, well, that was really profound because she's got 40 years on me. 
And she's sitting there saying, trust me, you'd think at my age it's over, but it ain't over. So we got to figure something out. Because what I don't want to always be living in is complete frustration and constantly failing. Now, I want you to understand this. There is no such thing as sinless perfection in this flesh. I refer you to what I just told you about Grandma Rotundi and what she said. There's no such thing. I don't care what some kind of wacko religions tell you. You can't get to a point where you live sinlessly perfect in the flesh. So you all are going to fail. You're all going to mess up. You're all going to be less than what you should be. And that's going to be an opportunity for the devil to drag you down, beat you up, and discourage you. The question tonight is not, are you perfect? The question tonight is, are you growing? The question tonight is, have you ever messed up? That's not the question. Are you going to mess up again? That's not the question. The question is, when you mess up, do you get up? When you mess up, do you fess up? When you mess up, do you feel bad about it? When you, are, are you messing up less and less as time goes on? Are you getting some kind of victory? Because I do believe as Christians, we're expected to live a clean life. We're expected to live a holy life. And we're expected to live in victory. I don't want to live in defeat. I don't want to constantly be stuck in the same spot dealing with the same things. I want to grow in my relationship with Jesus Christ. Romans chapter 6 gives us a doctrinal viewpoint of sin and then applies it practically to help us understand when you understand the teaching, when your mind is renewed by God and by the Word of God, and you begin to grasp what happened to you at salvation, you start to figure out the mechanics of what God's put in place to help you learn how to live for God. And in Romans 6, 6, 14, we already know you've got to reckon yourself dead. We already know you've got to yield to the right things. For he says in 14, for sin shall not have dominion over you. That doesn't mean you're sinlessly perfect. That means you ought to be able to break your alcohol addictions and quit it. That means you ought to be able to get the victory over your cigarettes and quit it. That means you ought to be able to get the victory over your dope and quit it. That means you ought to be able to get the victory over your fornication and quit it. That means you ought to be able to get the victory over unforgiving spirit and stop. That means you ought to be able to get the victory over your envy and stop being an envious person. That means you ought to be able to get the victory over your competitive spirit towards others and rejoice in somebody else's success. And if they're better than you, be thankful for it and be of encouragement to them and what they're good at. That means as a Christian, you ought to be able to get the victory over lacking love and compassion and learn to be loving and compassionate. That means we ought to realize sin no longer rules and reigns in our lives like a lost person it does. Not for a saved person. So although it will constantly be bothering us and we'll constantly have to keep it in check, it no longer has dominion over us for we're not under the law but under grace. Man, what a blessing that is. I mean, to me, that helps me a lot to say I'm not under the law. So I have to stop constantly trying to push myself to be better and I got to realize some things were already done in Jesus Christ and he's in me and no longer is it this huge effort on my end to try to accomplish righteousness no it's actually something he is and something he did for me and I'm living under grace now so I'm free actually I'm not forced to be in church on Wednesday night I want to go because my walk with the Lord is a it's, it's important to me 
Because the number one thing in my life is the Lord Jesus Christ. The number one thing in my life is the filling of the Holy Spirit of God and the leadership of the Holy Spirit of God. The number one thing in my life is the will of God for my life. The number one thing in my life is getting closer to Him. So if I can get somewhere that He laid out for us to get a little bit of Him in the middle of my week, I'm going. I'm going to be there. I want to be. I'm free to be there. I want to be there. Do you understand how I'm applying that to your church attendance? The same thing applies to getting victory over sin. It's not like, oh, I can't cuss anymore. You heard my illustration Sunday morning, you know, about the poo-poo pee-pee underneath the, the, the picnic table. My parents told me it was a sin to say that, and so I thought I was cussing, man. I, I was before kindergarten. It felt good. Now, not everybody's a cusser, but I'll tell you one thing I know about myself from the get-go. If I wasn't a Christian man, I know exactly what I'd be. <laughs> I don't want to talk like that. Why? Because I'm supposed to be representing something else. Let your speech be always with grace, seasoned with salt. I don't want to be that kind of a guy. Now I listen to it, I hear guys talk like that, and I think, you sound stupid. You, can't, you don't have another way to express yourself? You sound like an idiot, man. Sounds like you're completely uneducated. But the whole thing about it is not trying to pressure myself not to be a cusser. The whole thing about it is trying to speak in a way that the Lord had had me to speak because I love the Lord. It's freeing. It's not bondage. Keep your finger here in Romans 6 and flip over to 2 Peter chapter 1. 2 Peter chapter 1. I want you to see something. Start in verse number 3, if you would. 2 Peter 1, 3. It says, According as His divine power hath given unto us all things that pertain unto life and godliness through the knowledge of Him that hath called us to glory and virtue. Now, that's why I said at the beginning in my introduction here, before we started into the verse by verse, the reason a lot of Christians constantly struggle with sin is they're not taught. They just don't understand the mechanics of what they need to understand. That's in verse number 2 of this same grace and peace be multiplied unto you through the Knowledge of God and of Jesus our Lord. That's why a pastor is to be apt to teach. That's why two-thirds or at least a third of our services every week are teaching. Why? So that you can get the tools you need to live the life you're supposed to live. According as His divine power hath given us unto all things that pertain unto life and godliness through the knowledge of Him that hath called us to glory and virtue, whereby are given unto us exceeding great and precious promises, that by these ye might be partakers of the divine nature, having escaped the corruption that is in the world through lust. You escape the corruption of the world through lust by getting a divine nature. When you got saved, it was the Spirit of God living in you. You're one with Christ. And beside this, giving all diligence. So notice that. So you've been given a divine nature and you got exceeding great and precious promises and you've been called to do something. So now knowing all that, beside this, giving all diligence, you know why a lot of Christians don't grow? It ain't a priority to them. I'm telling you right now, if you're at the same place you were last year, it's not a priority and that's why. You got to be diligent about it. You got to ask yourself tonight, am I actively growing? Am I trying to grow? Am I hearing from God? Am I making the changes the Bible says I'm supposed to be making? 
Add to your faith virtue, and to virtue knowledge, and to knowledge temperance, and to temperance patience, and to patience godliness, and to godliness brotherly kindness, and to brotherly kindness charity. For if these things be in you and abound, they make you that ye shall neither be barren nor unfruitful in the knowledge of, Christ, of the Lord Jesus Christ. So, get this picture. You're not under the law, but under grace. You've got a new nature in you, which is given to you by your new birth. It's Jesus Christ in you, the hope of glory. And if you fill up your soul, fill up your heart, fill up your mind with all those things that God wants you to be, It'll make you to be neither barren nor unfruitful. In other words, what you're doing is you're filling yourself up. And as you fill yourself up with the Lord, they're just the fuller you get, the less room for all the other stuff there is. Do you see the difference between what we're teaching you right now about Christian living and quit, stop, stop, you're an idiot, you're a loser, you're a failure, quit it, knock it off, just do right, just stop. I've seen lots of Christians in the just stop mode for 20 years that never stopped. And it's like something, somewhere along the line, something's got to click. Either you're not serious, and then they're crying, literally crying to me. Tears, guilt, regret. I don't think they're kidding around at all and never got the victory over sin. Well, you start digging down and talking to them and you find out they sat under preaching that was always all about the outside, always all about doing right, always all about the way you dress and the way you walk and the way you talk and don't drink, don't smoke, don't chew, don't commit fornication, all this outside preaching, but there's been no preaching about the heart with God. When you get serious about the Lord and you begin to understand what He's done for you, and you begin to get armed by the word of God and the knowledge of Jesus Christ about the truths of your salvation and what it means to be saved, and then make yourself, make it a serious commitment in your life to learn your Bible. Make it a serious commitment in your life to understand what God wants from you. Listen, rather than you have to forgive, how about, am I a loving Christian like I should? I think it's pretty hard to be a really genuinely tender-hearted, compassionate, loving Christian filled with bitterness and unforgiveness. Do you understand what I'm saying? I think we should just let the love grow. <laughs> let the compassion grow. Learn to look at people like, man, they need help. Rather than, what's wrong with people nowadays? And I think if we, if we fill up with the divine nature, it'll squeeze out some of that other stuff. And now it's no longer this major burden on your back. You're not under the law. You're under grace. That's a, that's a pretty awesome thing. I, I really want, we were talking about it. I think it was uh, the Richardsons and I were talking about it in the lobby uh, uh, Sunday morning. I want to get old graciously. Don't you? I don't want to be this old preacher who's just a cranky, mean, nasty, like there's grandpa. Everybody hates him and he hates everybody. I, I want to be a sweet old man. I'm not going to be too much good to anybody anywhere other than what I compiled in my head that somebody will let me share over the years, maybe, you know, a little bit of Bible or whatever. What good am I going to be? I'm, I'm dying. I sure want to learn to be sweet. I want, to, I want it to be real. You understand? I don't want it to be, I want it to be real. I want it to be something people can't define because it's God doing it in me, not some put on fake weirdo, you know, some sugar coating, you know, you know what I'm talking about, fraud. 
I want it to be the real thing. Now look at verse 9. But he that lacketh these things is blind and cannot see afar off and hath forgotten that he was purged from his own sins, from his old sins. A Christian that doesn't have those characteristics about them is blind, can't see. It doesn't mean he's no longer forgiven. It says he forgot that he was forgiven. I know saved people that live just like they used to live before they were saved. And according to some of the, 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 uh, the parables and whatnot, uh, they probably become sevenfold more a child of hell. Because when the devil leaves and then comes back and finds the house nice and swept clean and garnished, he goes and gets seven more more wicked than himself and comes back. That's why I told you I heard this and I can't confirm it. God only knows, but I know of a few stories like this. They say Marilyn Manson was a born-again Christian. What happened? I've talked to people that were definitely born again at one point, saved, trusted Jesus Christ as their Savior, and they don't even, they can't even hardly tell you the gospel anymore. The gospel. They don't even think they're saved anymore. I don't believe that stuff anymore. What happened? You didn't fill up with the right stuff. Back to Romans chapter 6. Look at verse 15. What then? Shall we sin because we are not under the law but under grace? God forbid. Well, there goes the modern unbiblical church. Remember I said I'm going to quit saying contemporary versus traditional. It's going to be biblical versus unbiblical. The modern day contemporary church movement is an unbiblical movement. The ultra grace movement is an unbiblical movement. To say, well, we're under grace, it doesn't matter, let's go get a beer. Do you know that there is Christian articles and periodicals and statements that are made that say, well, as long as the relationship is monogamous, it doesn't matter whether or not you're married. They're going so far now in churches as to justify fornication. You know where that's going to end? Wherever the flesh wants it to end. I'm telling you right now it'll be in church. I'm talking evangelical churches. The, the contemporary unbiblical church. Do you realize we're a contemporary church? Did you know that? Somebody's going to definitely edit this and go out and you know, look at Reagan said he's contemporary. What's the definition of contemporary? We're living in contemporary times. Is your church contemporary? Yep, we're just a biblical one. <laughs> you understand the definition of contemporary? You're all looking at me like, anyways... So no, we don't just go on sinning because we're under grace. There are expectations for your life. And there are expectations for your testimony. And there are expectations for a church. You know what's funny to me? There's not, not a person out there that would run into me at a restaurant, see a beer sitting at my table, and not think... Lost or saved. People that know I'm a pastor. Not one of them. Why is the rules different for me than for you? Because you're a pastor. Why, why, why am I held to a higher standard? And I am. I believe that I am. Why am I? To be an example. Right? I, I don't get that stuff. 
Look at uh, verse 16. Know ye not that to whom ye yield, there's the word again, yourselves servants to obey. His servants ye are to whom ye obey. Whether of sin unto death, or of obedience unto righteousness. So whichever direction you yield is the direction you're going to go. And here's the thing about it. You become a servant to whatever you yield to. What do they say? Man takes drink, drink takes drink, drink takes man, something like that. That's good, ain't it? That's why I tell you, and I'll tell you again, sin takes you farther than you wanted to go, keeps you longer than you wanted to stay, costs you more than you wanted to pay. Oh, marijuana's not the gateway drug. Oh, whatever. How many people walk out and just shoot heroin first thing? Or smoke crack first thing? Don't give me that stuff. And why do you need a drug anyways? Why would you do anything that would alter your state of mind? You crazy? Don't you know anything about the demonic world? Don't you know anything about how that stuff works? You're not supposed to. The spirits of the prophets are subject unto the prophets. You open up yourself to demonic possession by drugs, by fornication, and by alcohol. Did you know that? You open up to demonic possession through those things. But these stupid parents teach their kids to just live it up now while you're young and just get as much experience as you can in the, in the fornication world. You're an idiot, you tell your kids something like that. You lost your mind. You become a slave to that stuff, a servant to it. You want to serve sin? You know what the end result of sin is? Yep. Yeah, it's fun for a little while, but you will pay for it. And listen to me, young people, I school's back in session, parents, so you're just going to have to deal with it when I preach at them during the week, you know. Listen to me. You know better. I don't, care. I don't care what your friends at school say, what their stupid preacher says, or their, their church teaches. I don't care what they try to tell you the Bible says. You know better. Guess what? I don't care what your parents do. You know how many young people use their parents as an excuse? You know better. You're going to stand before God and be like, well, you know, my dad was a... We're not talking about your dad right now. You knew better. So for me, I'd rather obey under righteousness. I, I really would. Because man, righteousness brings out some good stuff. The fruit of that, the fruit of it, I mean, it's a harder decision in the moment. It's tough when you're getting made fun of at school when you're young. Guess what? It ain't any, it ain't any more fun for you when you're in your mid-40s. Believe it or not, I get it. It ain't any funner for me. You know, the Bible says that the world, the, the Egyptians, the world hates shepherds. So people hate you because you're a Christian. They hate me twice as much. I know the feeling. But boy, the payoff of just whatever, if I got to take a little bit of ridicule for the Lord, then good. I count it an honor. Thanks. Appreciate that. I'll take some more wherever that came from. The payoff is so much better than giving in to peer pressure and winding up wrecking your life. All right, look at verse 17. But God be thanked that ye were the servants of sin, but ye have obeyed from the heart that form of doctrine which was delivered unto you. So he said this, he says, Thank God you obeyed the gospel. 
You were the servants of sin. In Corinthians, he went through, he listed a whole bunch of sins. I'm talking like everything under the sun. He, he listed homosexuals in there. And then he said to the Corinthian church, but some were, well, such were some of you. <laughs> but you're washed, but you're sanctified, and you're justified. Ain't that a blessing? I'm glad God put that stuff in the Bible, because you walk into church and you sit down and you look around and you think everybody's got it all together and you're the only one with a past. That's not the case. But when God washes them and cleans them up and puts them on a church pew and puts a Bible in their hand and a little bit of a pep in their step and some joy in their soul and they start singing songs about the Lord and get excited about it and that glow on their face shows up and they look 10 years younger than they did 20 years ago. That's a weird thing about, about serving the Lord, man. You see somebody at 30 when they're serving the devil and somebody at 45 serving the Lord and you'd think the 30-year-old was 45 and the 45-year-old was 30. And you think, well, these people don't, can't relate to me. I don't think so highly of yourself. <laughs> That's what I like about the testimony services. And I, here's the thing. Now, here's the thing. I want to say this carefully. First of all, you don't do all your dirty laundry. Don't start that. I used to be of this, and I used to be of that, and I used to be of the other thing. But when you give your testimony with some tact... Other people are sitting across the room saying, well, I didn't realize they were divorced too. Well, I didn't realize they got saved that late in life. I didn't know he was 40 when he got saved. I thought these people have been in church their whole life. It's encouraging. Such were some of you. Thank God you were servants of sin, but now guess what he's saying? You're not servants of sin anymore. You've obeyed where? You see the key in there? There's a key in there. You obeyed from the heart. Folks, I'm telling you, that's the key to the victory over sin. It's the heart. If all you think about is stopping the sin, the more you focus on the sin, the more that's all you can see. That is why, listen, it sounds so wrong because of the way we're wired. That's why it is okay for some of you to realize, no, these are my strengths. This is what the Lord's done with me. This is where I've seen God work. It's kind of like encouraging. Be like, I used to be that, but look what I am now. Look what the Lord's doing in my life. The more you focus on the sin and just drilling on it, the bigger that thing gets, and it's preoccupying your mind and your heart. So now all the time, all you're thinking about is the sin and trying to get the victory over the sin, and you keep falling back into the sin. Get your mind off the sin and get it onto the Savior. Get your mind off the sin and get it onto the Scriptures and start getting your heart more in love with Jesus Christ and watch that sin get squeezed out. Is that making sense? Yeah, that's good. I'm not saying don't admit your sin and don't face it and don't confess it. That's not what I'm saying. You've never heard me say that. I'm saying when you're struggling to get the victory, that's the whole conversation tonight from the beginning. The getting the victory, people that are trying to do right and keep failing. you got a besetting sin that keeps beating you up. I'm talking about that. And I'm saying get your heart more on the Lord than on your failures and watch Him squeeze your failures out. Verse 18, being then made free from sin, ye became the servants of God, uh, they became the servants of righteousness. So when he freed you from sin, guess what he made you? Servant of righteousness. Why are you here tonight? Do you know what you're doing when you come and sit on a pew? 
Thank you. You're serving the Lord. Is that what you said? That's what you said? Sounded like him. Both have a beard and a deep voice. So I couldn't tell, you know. You're serving God. I'm not the only one. Just because I'm the pastor, I'm the only one serving God tonight. No, you had to get ready, go out of your way, drive all the way over here, warm the car up in the freezing cold car, and you probably felt much the way I did around about 5.30, 6, 6.30, like, uh, oh, it would be nice to sit home tonight. Like, nope, nope, stop it. I'm going to church and I want to go, right? Yeah. Why? Because you're serving the Lord. That's a good thing. You're laying up some treasure in heaven. That's a good thing. Flip over to Ephesians chapter 2, if you would. Ephesians chapter 2, look at verse 1. We're talking about reckoning yourself dead because sin doesn't have dominion over, over you because you're not under the law but under grace, right? You're supposed to be reckoning yourself to be dead indeed under sin. You've got to remember that when the temptation shows up. That's not me anymore. I'm dead to that. The problem is you're still alive. You're spiritually dead to it, but you're still in the flesh. And guess what the flesh has learned by habit, by sowing the wrong seeds for years and years of your life? The flesh learns certain things it likes to do. And those things don't please God. So now you're dead to that spiritually. And you have to make a decision each and every day what direction you're headed. Ephesians chapter 2, verse 1, And you hath he quickened who were dead in trespasses and sins. That's why I said lost people don't have a choice. Wherein in time past ye walked according to the course of this world, according to the prince of the power of the air, the spirit that now worketh in the children of disobedience, among whom also we all had our conversation in times past, in the lusts of our flesh, fulfilling the desires of the flesh and of the mind. And were by nature the children of wrath, even as others. So we still can struggle with the lust of the flesh, but we're not supposed to fulfill those desires. Right? The temptation shows up. You're supposed to put it down as quick as you can. And then move on. Don't fulfill it. Verse 4. But God, what a great statement, who is rich in mercy for his great love wherewith he loved us, even when we were dead in sins, hath quickened us together with Christ by grace ye are saved. You're not under the law, but under grace. And hath raised us up together and made us sit together in heavenly places in Christ Jesus. That's where you're at. <laughs> he raised us up together and had us sit, made us sit together in heavenly places. That's a wild thought. When, when Jesus Christ was down here on the earth, where was he at the same time? You know what he did for you when he saved you? You're still down here on the earth, but know where you're at at the same time? Figure that out. <laughs> Once you figure it out, you let me know, because I ain't got it figured out yet, but I know it's a fact. I'm as good as there already. Raised us up together and made us sit together in heavenly places in Christ Jesus, that in the ages to come he might show the exceeding riches of his grace. So we don't even really get it all right now. Our, our human feeble minds can't fully comprehend. But in the ages to come, we're going to see it. In his kindness toward us through Christ Jesus. For by grace are you saved through faith, and that not of yourselves it is the gift of God, not of works, as any man should boast. Now watch this. 
For we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus unto good works, which God hath before ordained that we should walk in them. Are you saved tonight? You're a born-again Christian. Okay. So you're his workmanship. God, God is working on you. So whatever it was that was driving you nuts from Sunday to Wednesday night, whatever problems you got in your life or struggles you got in your life, God's trying to work on you. And He before ordained that we should walk in good works. Look at uh, chapter 4, verse 1. Ephesians 4, 1. I therefore, the prisoner of the Lord, beseech you. He's, I'm begging you. That ye walk worthy of the vocation wherewith ye are called. That means, that means you, you might not be. You're perfectly capable as a born-again Christian to not walk like a born-again Christian. He said, I'm asking you to do this with all lowliness and meekness. When somebody struts around like they're super spiritual, you know, their nose is so high in the air they'd drown if it rained. They're too godly to do anything but preach to you or whatever, you know, perform for you, but they're not. You, you know one thing for sure, that's not a real Christianity. A genuine Christian has a lowly spirit about them. They don't feel, think of themselves more highly than they ought to think. Man, if you're, if you're really in the fight, if you're really trying to crucify the flesh with the affections and lusts and get victory over sin and not let it have dominion over you and walk with the Lord and grow in Him, and draw closer to him and get, him, get to know him better, and study his Bible and let it be right, and evaluate where you're not in line with the book and get in line with the book, I don't understand how you could walk around arrogant. I don't understand that. I just can't wrap my mind around it. How do you think you arrived? How do you think you're the judge of other people's spiritual lives? You think that just because you dress a certain way, act a certain way, walk a certain way, been in a church a certain length of time, know certain doctrines, that you're some, you've somehow arrived? You to me, are, you're, you're a biblical midget to me. I, I don't, I just, God help me, I don't want to get like that. God sees the proud and abases them. That's a scary thought, boy. Loneliness and meekness with long suffering. Forbearing one another in love. So don't be so quick to get offended. That shows a, a shallow spirituality. Endeavoring to keep the unity of the Spirit in the bond of peace. There is one body and one Spirit, even as we are called in one hope of your calling. One Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of all, who is above all and through all. And there it is, and in you all. Folks, that's the key to living the Christian life. Look at verse 17. This I say therefore and testify in the Lord, that ye henceforth walk not as other Gentiles walk in the vanity of their mind, having their understanding darkened, being alienated from the life of God through the ignorance that is in them because of the blindness of their heart, who being past feeling have given themselves over to lasciviousness to work all uncleanness with greediness. But ye have not so learned Christ. So there it is. You just live like the devil because we're saved. We're under grace. And then you see saved people that go to church on Sunday and then 
Monday or Sunday afternoon through the following Sunday morning, you cannot tell any difference between them and lost people at all. They're cussing, they're hanging out, they're watching anything they want to watch, they're talking about what they want to talk about, they're at the bars, they're fornicating, they do anything they want. Laugh at all the dirty jokes. There's zero difference between them and lost people. Well, that's not how God's telling us to live. That is not how you're told to live. There is something expected out of you as a Christian. Verse 21, If so be that ye have heard him, and have been taught by him, as the truth is in Jesus, that ye put off concerning the former conversation the old man, which is corrupt according to the deceitful lusts, and be renewed in the spirit of your mind. That's what I'm trying to do tonight. Trying to help you with that. And that ye put on the new man, which after God is created in righteousness and true holiness. Look at him. He goes on. Wherefore, putting away lying. Christian, you shouldn't be a liar. Speak every man the truth with his neighbor. For we are members one of another. Be angry and sin not. Let not the sun go down upon your wrath. Neither give place to the devil. Let him that stole steal no more. And on and on he goes about straightening up. Verse 30 tells you to grieve not the Holy Spirit. Verse 31 gets into the sins of the Spirit. Anger, bitterness, wrath, clamor, evil speaking. And he says in 32, watch it. And be kind one to another, tenderhearted, forgiving one another, even as God for Christ's sake hath forgiven you. Back to Romans chapter 6. So you are expected to live a victorious Christian life. You're commanded of God to knock off the foolishness. And it's a choice you can make. And God's given you everything you need in Jesus Christ for life and godliness. So it's not, it's not some desperate, difficult, impossible struggle. It's not. It's a choice. Verse 19, I speak after the manner of men, watch this, because of the infirmity of your flesh. What he's saying is, listen guys, <laughs> you are carrying a burden around with you. You know, I try to understand that. I try to understand that when I look at people that disappoint me. I try to understand that when I disappoint myself. You carry with you an infirmity. Guess what it is? It's you. (laughs) And everybody else around you that's trying to grow, that's struggling, that's working on it, is also carrying with them an infirmity. It's the flesh. For as ye have yielded your members, servants to uncleanness, and to iniquity, unto iniquity. So what he just said is this. Talking about your flesh, the infirmity of your flesh, what you did with your flesh before, you yielded it, you leaned towards uncleanness. That's what the flesh wants. And then it says iniquity, unto iniquity. So sin takes you farther than you wanted to go. Keeps you longer than you wanted to stay. Servants. Costs you more than you wanted to pay. Girls, I'm telling you right now, you get with a guy and he starts trying to say, well, we can push the boundary just a little bit and we won't go past here. We'll push the boundary a little bit. That's not how it works. What you do is you slap him in the face, you punch him in the mouth, your, parent, your dad will bail you out of jail. It'll be okay. 
If he's so much of a coward that he calls and puts you in jail, then just take that record. I'm, I'm not recommending you go to jail. I'm just saying, like, if you were my daughter, I would bail you out, and I would say you carry that record with pride. Yeah, I might help. Amen. <laughs> we'll raise money for him. Why? Because sin, sin doesn't work like that. It's kind of quiet sometimes, guys. So what, that's what you used to do with your flesh, right? Oh, I'm just going to have a beer. I'm just going to smoke a little. Okay. You're going the wrong direction. You're yielding to the wrong thing. What do you do when you yield? You guys do the roundabouts? I love roundabouts. Man, they're such a blessing. I mean it. I love them. I can't stand it when somebody don't know how to operate in them. But I think they're great, man. They keep the traffic moving. You know what I do? I yield when I get to them. You slow down and you start looking. Anybody get the illustration? You yield the sin when you just tap that brake and you start slowing down and you start thinking about and the direction you look is the direction you're going to go. He said, don't yield the sin. Because when you yield your members to uncleanness, you guys, this is the danger of the internet. Moms and dads, listen to me. I'm telling you, it's a new world, man. And you are up against it. And some of you that got little ones or don't have kids yet, you better think long and hard and pray long and hard about internet access and phones and iPods and iPads and computers. And in my opinion, you lost your mind. If you got teenage kids and they're unfettered in their access to everything. I think, I think you should make them earn it. Now listen, I get it. I'm not harping on you. Though yours, mine, and our situation, and you got the exes, got the kids, and they won't play ball with you, and I get that it's a tough world we're living in, okay? So I'm not beating on you. I just said you lost your mind. I'm not trying to be mean to you. But if you, you guys got the ours, you better pray hard because of the infirmity of the flesh. And because the way the logarithms and all the rest of that stuff are built on the internet, and the stuff is artificial intelligence, and it's been out there a long time before it became a mainstream buzzword. It's been running for a long time. And that stuff is built to cater to the flesh, and to cater to their age, and to cater to their gender, and to feed them stuff and push stuff in there that it knows will get them hooked. The point is iniquity unto iniquity. Now, that's Bible, and it's based on the infirmity of the flesh, and those geniuses, those demon-possessed geniuses, with some of the terminology they got for the spiders and crawlers and all the rest of the weird stuff they got, that, how that stuff hooks up, it's as demonic as it comes. And these kids nowadays are seeing stuff so much, they're so inundated with it, it's tearing them up. It's wrecking them. Now, I'll stop there uh, for the sake of decency, but I'm telling you, it's ruining them. All right, so now what are you supposed to do? That's what you used to do. Even so, now do what? Yield your members, servants, to righteousness unto holiness. How many of you slowed down this morning before you jumped on the car and ran off to work to yield to your knees to talk to your creator 
the one who's living in you. How many yielded to open up the Bible? And did you know that in about 15 minutes a day, if you're a slow reader, you can read your Bible cover to cover in 12 months? Four chapters a day. That's not asking too much out of anybody. If you're eight years old in here, you ought to be able to read four chapters a day. Or at least start with two. Say, by the time I'm 10, I'm going to have my Bible read cover to cover. Some of you kids ought to have read, the, by the time you're 13, you ought to be able to say, I read my Bible cover to cover. You got time for everything else. You sit down and watch that stupid television and Netflix and all the rest of that stuff and Amazon. And my kids do too, and I do too. But you don't do that stuff at the expense of the Bible. What you yield to is the direction you're going to go. What it is is this. You got infirmity of the flesh you're still stuck in. And the flesh is a black dog. And inside of you is a white dog. That's the Spirit of God. And those two dogs are fighting. Every day, all the time. Do you know which dog's going to win the fight? The one you feed. You starve the one out as much as you can. As much as you can. I know you're going to fail. Every once in a while he'll get a scrap or two. But you starve them out as much as you can, that black one, and you feed that white dog as much as you can. And you know what will happen with time? That white dog will get bigger and stronger and healthier and better and put on more muscle and put on a thicker coat. And, be and that black dog will get weaker and smaller and frailer. And every once in a while, that black dog will always get a scrap until you get raptured out of here or die. But the goal is to try to feed that white dog. Why? So he can have dominion over the black dog. But we all got one of each. So what are we supposed to be doing? We're supposed to be yielding our members, servants, to righteousness unto holiness. For when ye were servants of sin, ye were freed from righteousness. That's why you can't expect lost people to get it. They don't get it. They're free from it. What fruit had ye then in those things whereof ye are now ashamed? What good did sin do you? Anybody in here over 30 years old or over 40 years old that would raise their hand and say, sin was a tremendous benefit to me. Go ahead and we'll kick you out after church. <laughs> you got the wrong spirit. Sin ain't no benefit. Not one sin ever committed, not one sin ever committed was ever worth it. Never. What, what good is a bottle of whiskey going to do you? All you're going to do is wake up hungover and sick and feeling nasty, and then in order to have that back, you've got to go back to it again until it takes you over. What good is it going to do you to smoke a joint? You're going to have to go back and get another one. You know what good the Lord's done me? He's never done me wrong. He's a constant, steady flow. Never leaves me or forsakes me. Never lets me down. For the end of those things is death. Verse 22, but now being made free from sin. See that? Reckon yourselves to be dead indeed unto sin. He's freed you from it through salvation. That's what the Lord did for you inside, in your heart. And become servants to God. Ye have your fruit unto holiness and the end everlasting life. So right now in this lifetime, God's expecting you to produce fruit unto holiness. And then afterwards, you die and you got everlasting life. Wow, what a deal, man. I mean, I get to live my best life now. <laughs> yeah, yeah, if you're yielded to the Holy Spirit of God, it has nothing to do with getting rich or whatever that guy is talking about. 
It has to do with crucifying the flesh with the affections and lusts, feeding the Spirit, saying no to sin and yes to Jesus Christ, yielding to God and not yielding to sin. That's the best life you can live. I don't care if, you're, if you live in poverty. If you got the joy of the Spirit of God, that's so much better than living in wealth and luxury and the misery of sin. Verse 23, for the wages of sin, that's the payment, is death. But the gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. Go over to Psalm 56 with me. We'll close there. I was doing my private devotions this morning, and I seen something over here that just jumped out at me as it relates to this, this whole chapter. I said, man, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to close it right there tonight. Psalm 56. We're talking about getting a victory over sin, right? And as saved people that are trying to do right at church on Wednesday night, you want to do right and you struggle with it, right? Look at verse 13, uh, Psalm 56, 13. I believe with all my heart this is the key to victory over sin, right here. For thou hast delivered my soul from death. Did God do that for you when he saved you? Yes, Okay. If God can deliver your soul from death, will not thou deliver my feet from falling? that I may walk before God in the light of the living. Isn't that a good verse? Getting the victory over sin and living a happy, victorious Christian life does not mean you're sinless. It doesn't mean you never fail. It does mean you reckon yourself to be dead indeed unto sin and alive unto God. You understand that. And when the temptation shows up, you say, there's no sense in going there because I'm dead to that anyhow. And then you yield yourself toward the Lord as much as you can and don't yield yourself to the sin as much as you can. And it means you faithfully continue to do that and in the whole process of doing that, you remember that God's given you everything that you need to grow as a Christian and not fall and then you lean on the Lord Jesus Christ. If He can save your soul from hell, can't He help you get the victory over your sin? It boils down. I'm telling you right now, it boils down to your personal relationship with Jesus Christ. And the reason some Christians just get stuck and don't ever grow and don't ever get anywhere or just get defeated and beat down, it's not because they're not trying. It's because their personal relationship with Jesus Christ is failing. And that's the only reason. Because when your personal relationship with Jesus Christ is strong, then when you do fall, He picks you back up and cleans you up and gets you back in the traces and gets you pulling again the right direction. That's what He does. But boy, wouldn't it be good if we can get to the point where it's like, well, hey, you delivered my soul from hell. Can't you deliver my feet from falling? And He can. It's a daily prayer of mine. You know what I want? If you want to pray for me about something, here's what you could pray for me for. That I'll die an old man. I would like to live a long life. If not, whatever. I'm going, I know where I'm going, so if I check out early, don't really worry about it. I know where I'm at, okay? I'd like to be an old man. And I'd like to be an old man that lived my life right. That finished strong. That finished clean. That didn't humiliate my wife, didn't humiliate my church, didn't humiliate my Savior. But finished clean. And finished with joy. That's what I like. And I'll tell you what it takes. 
It's going to take God. All right, let's pray and we'll be dismissed tonight.